Please turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 41. A while back, Anna Joy and I went to uh, Starbucks so that I could get a cup of coffee. And when I got up to the counter, it was my turn to order my cup of coffee. I said, I would like a cup of coffee. And my barista said to me, we don't have any coffee. That's <laughs> like, what? We what do don't have any coffee. So I, I can make you a frappuccino or I can make you an iced tea or I can make you a hot tea. So, but I just want a cup of coffee. So we don't have any coffee. So how's that possible? So well, all of our, our coffee machines are broken today. We don't have any coffee. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't that the point? <laughs> I mean, it's co- I see coffee, see coffee everywhere. I see the word coffee everywhere. There's no coffee. What do you mean? You, there's no coffee. This is Starbucks, right? It's crazy. It's like walking in Chick-fil-A and there's no chicken. We have no chicken here at Chick-fil-A. Or you go to fish camp and there are no freshmen. There are no freshmen here at fish camp. Think what, isn't that the big idea? The big idea is coffee. Now, if you're observant, you've noticed that their logo actually is no longer Starbucks coffee. It's just Starbucks which I think happened after that incident (laughs) when they had no coffee. Now, it has been my observation that uh, sometimes companies or organizations, uh, individuals kind of lose their way. They are busy and doing many things, but they've kind of forgotten their fundamental purpose, why they exist. How about us, church? Have we remembered how to make frappuccinos, but we don't know how to make a cup of coffee, so to speak? Why is the church here? Why does the church exist? Who are we as the church? What does that mean for us to be the church? Do we know what we are about? See, we are defined as a church based upon who we are in Christ. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The moment that we believe in Jesus Christ, we receive the word of God, which tells us of the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus. We embrace that truth. We become children of God. Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. That's what defines us as being a part of the body of Christ. It's a decision that every individual has to make. No amount of association with other Christians makes you a Christian. This is your decision. But the moment that you do trust in Jesus Christ, and Christ is placed in you, or you are pla- and you are placed in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God also does associate you with every other person who's a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul describes it in this way in Ephesians 4. There is one body and there is one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And what's the key word in this verse? It is one. It's the word one. In other words, we are the church. You're not the church and I'm not the church. We are the church. This is what Jesus prayed to his father right before he went to the cross. He said, Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them even as you have loved me. I think this is absolutely one of the most profound verses in the entire Bible. Jesus says that that unity that we have experienced of Father, Son, and and Spirit that we have known for all of eternity, Father, we have invited them to enter into that, be a part of that. 
So we are the church. Grace Bible Church. This is the church. We're, we're a local church, but there are other local churches here in town. There's Central Baptist and Living Hope and Antioch and Declaration and First United Methodist. Those are all local churches. And we're the church and they're the church and we together, we are the church. Every person who has believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, Christ alone, that person is a member of the body of Christ and we are the church. You remember what we were taught in Sunday school? I showed you this before. Remember it? Remember the, the heresy you were taught in Sunday school? <laughs> Not that I'm bitter at my Sunday school teachers. Okay? Remember this? Here's the church. Here's the church. And here's the steeple. Open the doors and see all the people. Heresy. It's horrible, right? That's, that's wrong. Here's a building. Sometimes it has a steeple. Open it up and see the church. Right? And see the church and then watch the church go into the world and take the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the church. And why are we here, church? We are here to make disciples of all nations. Let's not lose our way. We are here to make disciples of all nations. So the question that we want to look at this morning is, how do we do that? How do we make disciples of all nations? What we're going to look at in Acts chapter 2 is two things. The church gathers together and the church goes together. How does the church make disciples? The church gathers together and then the church goes together. I want you to read read with me chapter 2 of Acts and verse 41. Luke writes, So then, Those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The church gathers together to accomplish three things, to grow and to worship and to share. The church gathers together first to grow. Great Commission reads like this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Jesus doesn't say teaching them to learn it or know it or even memorize it. He says teaching them to observe. And that word for observe means to guard or keep or protect or to persist in living it out. It's the distinction between information and transformation. Church, we're gathered here this morning not to gain more information about God. It's not a biblical data session. It is to be changed by the Spirit of God. That's why God called you here this morning. Whether you recognize that or not, he called you here so that he could change you. Maybe in a big way this morning or maybe in a small way. But his point was transformation, not just information. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans 12. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love that song. Tim just sent it to me this week, the one that he sang right before I came up. God, take your word and plant it deep inside of our hearts so that we can be changed. Show us Christ in a new way, in a living way, in a fresh way that changes the way that we see the world. Transform us. You know, a few years ago, my kids discovered that I am colorblind. And uh, my daughter in particular, Anna Joy, just loved the fact that uh, she now had uh, an element of power and control over me because there's something she could do that I could not do. And so she, even now, she loves to quiz me and test me. She'll hold something up to me and she'll say, Dad, is that red or green? And I'll go, 
It's red. She goes, no, it's green, Dad. It's not red. It's so obvious. Can't you see that? Don't you know? Dad, look at this. How about this? Is it green or it's brown? I go, it's brown? She goes, no, it's green, Dad. How, how is it possible? Look at it. Look closely. Look. You know, she just shove it right in my face. How can you not see what color that is? But I can't. And no amount of lecturing from her, which she thoroughly enjoys, will solve the problem because I don't need information about colors. I need transformation, right? I need to see the world differently in a way that I do not see the world now. I need to be changed, right? And that's the point of this exercise today. We're meeting together. We're gathering together. We're entering into a discussion of God's word and letting God's spirit speak to us so that he can change us. Not information, but transformation. Now, through the years, I've had uh, different activities I've really gotten into. I don't know if, if you know, you're a hobby person, you like different things, but I, I, I enjoy learning new things. And so I'll get into a new hobby, and as I'm into that new thing, it kind of influences the way that I look at the world. I don't know if you've had that experience before, but I, when I get into stuff, I get into stuff, right? So uh, for a long time, I was into rock climbing. And when I was into rock climbing, every vertical structure became something to climb, right? I, every time I looked at any kind of building, I'm thinking, how could I climb that? How would I climb that? What I, I mean, I'm just, that's how I thought. When we were building our new uh, rock face here, I came in and I watched him build and I thought, how could I climb that? What would I do? And so I actually said, why don't you put a few big hand holds in case I get tired? You know, when I'm taking a break from work and you push a tile back, there's a nice bolt up there as an anchor so I can string a rope and not really. Now I was told you're not allowed to climb on the wall <laughs> by those who know me well. I did think about it though. It changed the way that I viewed the world. You ever had that experience? Activities that we take, we take on, and it becomes consuming, changes us and our point of view. But more than activities changing me, people have changed me. Relationships have changed me. When I moved to Texas, I had no Christian friends. I'd never had a Christian friend that was a peer ever in my life. For some of you who were raised in the South, that is hard for you to even contemplate. But I was raised in upstate New York, and I knew one Christian kid in my high school. There were probably others, but I didn't even know him. I didn't have, I did not have a Christian friend. I got here to College Station, Texas. My parents called Young Life, and the Young Life area director sent two Aggies to our door to pick me up and take me to club, and I began to spend time with them. Tom Douthit and Rich Young. I will never forget Tom Douthit and Rich Young. They showed up at my door. They took me to club. They took me to Midnight Yell. We did Bible study together. We had truth. We had time. We were together. They showed me a model of what does the Christian life look like for you at the next stage. It was exactly what I needed. And it was one of the things that set me on fire to want to know God and walk with God and live for God. Because they were willing to invest in my life. People change us. Change the way that we see the world. Change the way that we see ourselves. The other person that changed me profoundly is my wife, Tristy. If you have been around her for any period of time, like longer than 10 seconds, you know that she cares deeply for people who are lost. It's, it's probably the greatest passion in her life. So every time she meets someone, every time she walks into a room, she is wondering, does that person know Christ? Does every person in this room know Jesus Christ? What can I do to introduce these people to Jesus Christ? So if she's walking through Kroger or she's walking through Walmart, 
She's going through a drive-through. On her mind, she cannot help it, is does this person know Jesus Christ? And that has influenced me. My, my spiritual gift is not evangelism, but now I do see the world differently. I get on an airplane and I think, what if we all died? No, I don't really think that. I'm not fatalistic, but I do wonder, do these people know Jesus Christ? The person next to me know Christ. It's, it's created a new lens through which I view the world. People change us. Church, why are we here? To make disciples of all nations. You can actually say it out loud even. Why are we here? To make disciples of all nations. That's why we're here. How do we make disciples? Well, we, we, we get close to each other. We get into the mess of life with one another. We're in close proximity to one another. The Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you imagine saying that to someone? Can you imagine having the boldness and the courage to say to someone, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. Watch me love Jesus and love Jesus like that. You know, church, that is what each and every one of us is called to do. To model a relationship with Jesus Christ. To find others who model that for us and to be with them. To bring others along with us to become like Jesus Christ. That is discipleship. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, uh, Paul wrote what I, I consider, in a sense, one of the most um, deeply mysterious verses that he wrote. He said this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now, that sentence takes a bu- kind of a bunch of twists and turns, but, but try to visualize it. He says, we all with unveiled face. The veil has been taken back. Why? Because we have believed in Jesus Christ. The moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, you know the most important truth. You're looking into the face of Jesus Christ, who is the glory of God, and who is your Savior, who can alone remove the debt of your sin. You believe the veil is removed. And then you begin to gaze into the face of Christ, and it is transforming. Paul describes it like this. You're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Well, what, what do you see when you look into a mirror? You see yourself. Well, you are a reflection of the glory of God. It, it may be kind of dim this morning in your mind. But because you're made in the image of God, you reflect the nature and the attributes of God. And as you behold the face of Christ more and more and more, you think about Christ what Christ loves, what Christ would do, what Christ would say. As you see that modeling in people that you are in close proximity to, slowly, gradually, sometimes even imperceptibly, God transforms your image from glory into greater glory, that is, greater beauty of the reflection of Jesus Christ. That is discipleship. And we have to get deeply into one another's lives in order to make disciples of one another. I want you to notice one phrase here, chapter 2 and verse 42. Luke says, they were continually devoting themselves. In other words, they weren't passive in their longing to be changed. That word for devotion means to be strong toward something, okay, to lay hold of something, to grip something. They were gripped by the Spirit of God, and then they had to lay hold of more. They needed to be more like Jesus. 
So what does the church do? The church gathers together to grow. Second, the church gathers together to worship. Verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. I want you to remember, remember, we're still at the day of Pentecost. We haven't moved away from day one of the church. And who is this group that Peter is speaking to? Well, it's, it's Jews who are from around the world, and these are devout Jews. These are worshiping Jews. These are Jews who have known about God and worship God their entire lives. Their, their parents have taught them to memorize God's word. Their parents have taught them how to pray. Their parents have brought them to the temple. Their whole life has been about worship. But now on the day of Pentecost, their minds are opened to love God and worship him in an entirely new and profound way through Jesus Christ. And I suspect for many of you, you have been near the church, around the church, in the church for much of your life. But have you ever had that moment where God began to really explode your concept of him and you began to fall in love with him more and more and more deeply than you ever have before? I've seen those moments happen in people's lives and it is an amazing thing to behold. So you may have been around the church and around Christians but not really known what does it mean that Jesus Christ is the very center of my life and the point of my life. And I haven't lost my way, but I know to me to live is Christ. That's, a, that's, what, that's what God does for these people on the day of Pentecost. Totally opens up their minds and their hearts to worship. And I want you to notice three phrases here. The first is the breaking of bread. Verse 42. They devote themselves to the breaking of bread. Verse 46, it comes up again. They're breaking bread from house to house, which certainly refers to to just meals. Every time it was time to eat, they said, let's eat together. Because eating is, is fellowship, and they wanted to eat together, but it's also a technical term for the Lord's Supper or for communion. So every time they had an opportunity to eat, they wanted to eat together. And every time they ate together, even eating and drinking took on a whole new meaning. They would begin the meal and they would give thanks to the creator of heaven and earth, the giver of all good things. They would break the bread and now breaking bread meant something different to them. It was the body of Jesus Christ that had been broken, that had suffered on their behalf, buried but then risen from the dead. So they couldn't even take a bite of food the same way. And when they took a sip of wine, they couldn't take a sip of wine the same way because now it represented for them the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what do you do every day? You eat and you drink. And every time they ate and they drank, they saw the world differently. They saw it through the lens of Jesus Christ. So they're breaking bread together. It says they are praying together. Literally, uh, it says to prayers, plural. They'd grown up memorizing prayers Jewish prayers, and so they probably prayed those. They had learned prayers from Jesus. Jesus teaches how to pray. Pray this way. Our Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, what do we live for? We live for your kingdom to come. In the meantime, we need daily bread, and we need to learn to forgive. Memorize prayers that gave structure to their prayers. 
but also spontaneous prayers because Jesus didn't always pray things that had been memorized before. Remember, sometimes he was just walking along and he would break out in prayer. Father, I thank you that you have not kept your truth hidden, but you have revealed truth to these, these children of mine. I love them. Jesus could, could hardly stop. If you think about the life of Christ, what characterizes life? Prayer. Lots of prayer, long prayer, short prayer, spontaneous prayer, memorized prayer, prayer. And what reflects really the the health of a person spiritually and the health of a group of people? Their life of prayer. I want to recommend another book to you. I I frequently do. Here's a new one for you to add to your list. Uh, It's a little bit older book. It's called uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. Great book on prayer. And I promise you, if you read this book, you will feel uncomfortable at some point as you read it. Let me give you a quote from Jim Cimbala. He said this. Does the Bible ever say anywhere, from Genesis to Revelation, my house shall be called a house of preaching? I read that and I thought, I don't don't think I like that. Uh, That threatens my job security. (laughs) Let's not highlight that verse. What's he saying? He's not saying preaching is bad. Jim Cimbala himself preaches. Acts chapter 2, the apostles have been preaching and they're devoting themselves to the apostles' preaching. That's not what he's saying. But the theme of his book is this idea. Our spiritual health can really be demonstrated by our life of prayer. What is our prayer life like? He goes on. He says, I've seen God do more in people's lives during 10 minutes of real prayer than in 10 of my sermons. Ouch. But I've seen the same. I've been with people in those moments where I've had the privilege to see the Spirit of God break through, and they're listening not to me. They're listening to the voice of God and it is transforming. There's nothing like it. This semester, I've asked couples to come up after each service and to be available if you want to pray. And let me encourage you, some of our members, they stay after the 11 o'clock service and just sit so they can pray and they can listen. Because it may be that you should not rush out of here, but you should take a moment and stop and listen. It may be that God is moving you out. Service is done. It's time to go. But are you willing to stop and just listen? You're willing to come forward and ask someone to pray with you or stop with a friend and say, would you pray with me? This is a burden on my heart. This needs to change. I need help. I need hope. Let us pray. Are you willing? The church worship together. Breaking of bread, house to house. Every meal transformed. Every meal a sacrament a remembrance of the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. They are praying together consistently, and it says they are praising God, verse 47. That word for praise is the same word. It was used when the angels came down from heaven, and in front of all of the shepherds in the field, they began extolling the greatness of God and his mighty works. Praise is the business of heaven. That's what's happening right now. As we are sitting and we are listening to the word of God, be spoken. What is heaven doing? Heaven is worshiping. Heaven is praising. That's what heaven does. And so heaven loves it when we join in those moments with heaven and we too praise. This was a worshiping community. Third, the church gathers together to share. Verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and they had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions And they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals 
together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God, having the favor of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Fellowship is the key word here. Uh, Koinonia, fellowship. And I will confess to you that I carry uh, baggage into that whole concept and word fellowship. Uh, My church that I was raised in up there in New York, Bethel Grove, uh, we would have fellowship once a month. And what that meant was once a month, we would have a potluck meal down in the basement. And to help you understand where I'm coming from on this, really enter into this moment with me, I was the kid who had to have the plate with partitions. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So the corn can't touch the peas or the meat or the potatoes. Nothing can touch on my plate. That's I'm not, I've outgrown that. I'm not, I'm not there now still. But as a kid, man, I, I didn't like stuff to touch. Well, what is a potluck meal? Every woman brings every ingredient mixed, right? It's all, it's all already touching. And so I would walk down the line just like in horror. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's already touching, right? And so fellowship meant everything's touching, right? That's what fellowship meant to me. The word is koinos. It means in common. So I'm thinking in common. They all... Everything shares the same space in common on the plate. This is bad, right? So that's, that's where I come from, the word fellowship. It's a potluck meal, and there's nothing that you can eat at that pot. It's, that's fellowship. Oh, frightening. That's not what fellowship means, biblically speaking. Koinos, yes, have something in common, but it's not the food mixing on your plate, okay? It's actually many things. A common salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.9. God is faithful through whom you were called into koinonia, fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, Paul says, your relationship with God is fellowship. You have a common relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's shared. Communion is actually called fellowship. Is not the cup of blessing with which we bless a sharing koinonia in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break A sharing, koinonia, in the body of Christ. Because communion is a sharing in, a reminder that we share in the body and the blood of Christ. That's what removed the dead of our sin. And we share that remembrance with one another. So communion is literally union with. It's having something in common. A common relationship with Jesus Christ and then a common relationship with one another that unites us. Philippians 1, Paul says, I always pray with joy in my every prayer for you all because of your koinonia, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, if I share a relationship with Jesus Christ and we share a relationship with one another, then we share a common purpose, which is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's koinonia. That's fellowship. Chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If I share a relationship in common with Jesus Christ and we share a relationship in common with one another, consequently we have this shared purpose with one another and as we go out into the world with this shared purpose, the world will not always like who we are and the message that we bring and then we will join into the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ and experience the rejection that he experienced. Now, interestingly, Many of the uses of fellowship or koinonia in the New Testament are actually not spiritual. They are physical. Romans 15. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution of fellowship for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. 
Paul says, this is fellowship. What's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. Why? Because we all belong to Christ. And all that we have belongs to Christ. And so we belong to one another. And so we share. And actually, this is the first use of the word koinonia in this regard in the entire book, entire New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. In other words, as soon as the church was born, the church began to share. Okay? That's normal Christian life. Sharing not just out of their abundance, but also sharing out of their poverty. Read with me chapter 4 and verse 34. Chapter 4, verse 34. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. In other words, they didn't sell everything on the day of Pentecost. They gave as people had need. And then they gave again, and then they gave, and they gave, and they gave, and they gave. It was just part of the, the culture of this new family. Church father Justin Martyr once wrote, We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else, now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another. We refused to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and we pray for our enemies. The Spirit of Jesus Christ created a, a, a new atmosphere. It says they were sharing meals, house to house, day after day, sharing not just meals, but their financial pr- provision for anyone who had a need. And they were doing it not grudgingly, but it says with gladness and sincerity of heart. That word for gladness is a a sharp, piercing cry of exultation. Yes, I get to share. I get to share. It's a word that the angel spoke to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to have a child. And this child is going to be the savior of the world. And when you get that child, you are going to be happy. You are going to shout with a glad cry of exultation. In other words, they weren't going through the motions of being the church. They were transformed. And the effect of that transformation was an impact on the community around them. It changed the community around them. The church gathers together so that the church can go together. We come together so that we can be transformed together, so that we can go out together and impact the world together. Matthew 28, 18 should actually read like this. Literally it is, as you are going, make disciples. The grammar is important here. There's only one imperative. There's only one command in the Great Commission. The command is this, make disciples. The other verbs are participles. In other words, they modify the main verb. That was free. (laughs) Free grammar lesson today. Okay? Make disciples is the command. Make disciples is the imperative. How do you make disciples? Well, as you are going. What does that assume? Assumes the church is on the move. Assumes the church is not passive and waiting for people to come. But the church is taking initiative. The church is going to the world. Harry Bohr wrote a book on uh, Acts, Pentecost in particular, and he made this observation. He said, Acts is governed by one dominant motif. Restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness, 
And continually churches rise out of that witness. The church is a missionary church. I love that phrase. Restlessly the church drives the church, restlessly the spirit drives the church to, to witness. Restlessly. Let me meddle for a moment in your hearts. If there is no sense of the restlessness of the spirit for those who are lost, you are not in tune with the spirit of God. Hey, listen to that again. If there's nothing in your heart that senses that restlessness of the spirit, that, that anxiety of the spirit for those who do not know Jesus Christ, who are dead in their sins, who are separated from God, if there's nothing in your heart that stirs for that, then you're not in tune with what the spirit really longs for because the spirit right now, even in this moment, is restlessly trying to move the church to not just care for itself, but to care for the world that has been placed around us. Okay, that is what the church is about. Thank you for that singular amen. I'll take more of those, okay? Thank you. Church, that's why we're here, right? Spirit is restless, and he wants us to be restless. Church gathers, not so the church can be comfortable and content for itself, but so the church can be changed for the world. For the glory of God and the good of the world. That's why the church exists. That is why we are here. And what happens? It says, chapter 2, verse 47. They're praising God and the result is they have the favor of all the people. Now, not forever. But initially, the community around them says, wow, something's really different about these people. And even if I don't want to associate with them, I see that they are doing good, good for one another and good for the world. In other words, they're not a club that is for themselves, isolated, but they're, they're a club, a group, a family that is engaging the world. That's why the church is here, people. Yeah, that's why the church is here. Now, let me illustrate for you. Last week, um, Blake told me a really interesting statistic. He said that at Texas A&M, we have 1,025 recognized student organizations. That's a lot. That's a lot more than when I was a student. 1,025, student population of about 55,000. Uh, I think that's the third largest campus right now uh, in the nation. And 1,025 clubs. What that reminds me is Aggies love to start things. Aggies love to lead things. Aggies love to join. Aggies love to have community. And they love to have impact, right? But if you look around the country... At other universities, I have discovered that there are many clubs that are really are a waste of time for students. Let me illustrate for you. They're not really Aggie kind of clubs, clubs that would fit at Texas A&M University. For example, University of Michigan, they have the Squirrel Club. All that you have to do to join is show up with a bag of nuts and you're in, okay? That's the Squirrel Club. Carleton College, they have the Mustache Club. It's open to men and women. You don't have to have a mustache, but you have to appreciate mustaches. And then one of my favorites, the Harvard Tiddlywinks Society. They even have a Latin motto in Levitate Veritas, and the lifting up is truth. I had somebody come up to me afterwards and they said, I, I didn't actually ever realize that Tiddlywinks was a real game. Sport, <laughs> let's call it. You don't even have to have your own set of tiddlywinks, I think. You just have to be willing to put the word tiddlywinks on your resume, and you can be in. Now, I, I promise you, I'm not making this up. I've had a bunch of New York stories, and your, your opinion is going to get even more negative after this. My neighbor, 
was into tiddlywinks. He's about four years older than me, and he was constantly trying to get me to join his tiddlywinks club and, and practice tiddlywinks. I'm not kidding. This kid, I was in junior high. He was in high school, and he would come home every day after school, and he would spend hours practicing with his tiddlywinks, with his twinks. And he's like, come, you know, this is great. Awesome. Join me. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way that I'm ever going to spend a single minute of my life ever playing tiddlywinks with you or anyone else. I, 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 I hear these clubs and I say, these are students who've lost their way, <laughs> right? Why are you here? Why do you exist? What's your point in life? Do you know? Church, have we lost our way? Why are we here? We're here to make disciples of all nations, right? Make disciples of all nations. So I want to give you a few application points today. The first is connect. Disciples, we make disciples of one another, right? And to do that, we have to be in close proximity to one another. We have to be willing to get into the mess of life with one another. You need to be connected with other believers in Jesus Christ. Maybe you do it through a great A&M campus organization. Maybe you do it through the local church. Maybe you do it just with your roommates, but you get into truth and you spend time together for a purpose intentionally to help one another become more like Jesus Christ. You have to have this in your life. You have to have this in your life. Not optional. Okay, so connect this semester. Make sure you don't drift through the semester disconnected. Get connected. Second, engage the world around you. I'm going to give you a challenge. Pick three people in one place. Okay? Pick three people in one place. Acts 1.8 talks about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. God is engaged near to you. God is engaged far away from you. Pick three people. Three people that you will pray for. People, three people you will try to spend time with. Three people that you will try to engage for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at least one of those people needs to be someone very different from you. If you're young, somebody old. Or you're old, somebody young. Or you're white, somebody black. You're Chinese, somebody Hispanic. You, you find somebody who is different from you. Okay, different from you, so that you let God stretch your heart. Three people, one place. Ask God to lay on your heart one place that you can, you can begin to think about and learn about and pray for that is not your place. So you begin to see that God cares about all nations. I know we've had a lot of members say to us, are we doing anything for the refugee crisis in Syria? Well, we have some partners that we're beginning to work with Probably one of the greatest humanitarian crises of our generation. If you are interested in finding out more about that and how you can engage in that, global outreach at grace-bible.org. Or if there's another part of the world, we literally, we have missionaries all over the world. Begin to research a place. Let God stretch your heart. So three people, one place. Write it on a three-by-five card. Put it in your pocket. Carry it around. Tape it to the dashboard. Tape it to the mirror in your bathroom. So you begin to have a new lens through which you view the world and through which you view people. And as you're reading the book of Acts along with us, remember, the book of Acts is our story. Why? Because it's the story of the church and we are the church. We are the church. Father, we pray that you would shake our worlds that you would move us and change us and transform us. Pray that you would cause a restlessness in us through the Spirit of God for those who are lost. 
We pray, Father, that you would show us how to deeply invest in the lives of other believers so that together we can be transformed and be a witness to this world. Father, I thank you that you don't leave us alone. (laughs) Thank you that you, you chase us down. We don't have to be the same people today. We were yesterday. Tomorrow, again, your spirit can change. Pray that we would be soft and humble and receptive. Listen to the voice of your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Remember, we have some folks down front. If you want to come up and pray or spend some time here, or if you need to leave, that's great. We will see you next week. God bless you.